It's been a great time to be together already this morning. Thank you to the worship team for setting the stage for us so well, reminding us of our good and gracious King, that it's on Christ, in Christ alone that we stand and we can be still and know that he is God and thus find rest for our souls. So as you'll see, that's where we're going to be going um, with this. And I trust that God will lead us and guide us into a meaningful listening to what he has for us today. So I trust that you left those Bibles open to Psalm 23, because that's where we're going to be. And if not, I invite you to, to open them. But before we dig in, I'd like you to think about how you would finish this sentence. Life would be so much better if only... Life would be so much better if only... So I ask you to hold on to that. We'll come back to that later as uh, we... uh, look at Psalm 23. We've been looking at three psalms. This is the the third week. We've been looking at Psalm 21, Psalm 22, today will be Psalm 23. And uh, you had a homework assignment, so I have to check that off here. So how many of you read at at least Psalm 23 since last week? All right, all right, there's some hands there. Maybe a few more than the last time. How many read all three psalms again? All right, we had some couple. All right, very good. So we'll have some comments about all three of them as we get to the end here. Uh, Psalm 23, if you notice at the top of the psalm, it says a psalm of David, attributing uh, David as the author. It's interesting to think this is a song that he was singing about 3,000 years ago. Uh, Once again, there's no specific season of his life indicated in the psalm. It's his reflections on his life of knowing God. And it is perhaps one of the most familiar and most loved of the Psalms, which means we really need to try to put aside what we know about this Psalm and try to study it with new eyes, with fresh eyes, to see it in some new ways. So as we we dig in here, let's just pause again for a moment of prayer. Father, as we have our Bibles open before us this morning, give us hearts that are able to understand your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have for us this morning. We truly know that it's only by your spirit's illumination that we can understand what's in here, much less apply it to our lives. And so we pray that your spirit would be very much in our midst this morning in the proclamation of your word, in the hearing, the seeing, the understanding and then the application to our lives. I pray that you would indeed help us put aside what we know about this psalm. Please don't let familiarity dull our senses to what you would have for us today. Sometimes things become so familiar that we stop listening, and I pray that you would not let that happen to us today. So we trust that you would guide us through these next few moments we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. So as been our custom, let's, we're going to walk through Psalm 23 and, and try to get a sense here of what David was saying. Uh, David, if you know the story, was a shepherd before he became king of Israel. So David understands shepherds and sheep. And he now reflects on what it is that God is his shepherd. 
Verse 1, I believe, actually gives us the pattern of how this psalm is laid out. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd basically tells us what is God doing for this sheep as this shepherd. And then David says, because of that, therefore, I shall not want. I shall not lack anything. I shall not be without. It refers to what David gets from being as being a sheep. And we're going to look at this uh, as we walk through the psalm. The, the first verses, verses 2 and 3 there, talk about the provision, provision that God supplies. So we'll look first at what David gets. Well, if you look at it, what does David get as a sheep? He gets to lie down in green pastures, to drink beside still waters, and to have his soul restored. For sheep, a green pasture was necessary for food. It means that there's grass there to eat. For David, this was symbolic of of an ample provision for the hunger of his soul. When you think of a green pasture in a desert wasteland, you think of a place that is lush and healthy and pleasant and green. And he was able to lie down in that pasture That represents peace and rest and freedom from threat. You don't lie down if there is danger lurking around. You must stay on your feet and be alert. But he could lie down in this green pasture. He was also led to drink beside still waters. For sheep, again, this is necessary for safety in drinking. It's hard to drink out of a fast-moving stream. And for David, this was symbolic of the satisfaction of his thirst the thirst of his soul in the setting, again, of peace and rest and safety, drinking beside still waters. And then he experienced restoration of his soul. The soul refers to the inner self, our heart, our being, includes our emotions and our thoughts. And it speaks to the weariness of heart and mind that here is refreshed and allowed to heal. All of this provision comes about, why? Because God is his shepherd. And look at the words that are used here that David uses. What is God doing? God makes me, God leads me, God restores me. The initiating force, the initiating drive is all from God. God is the one who makes me lie down in green pastures. The resting place is not just anywhere. It is in a special place that God himself chose, this nourishing and pleasant place. God leads me beside the still waters. It's God himself who led him to the safe and refreshing waters. It's God who restores me. He provides for his recovery from worry, fear, and fatigue. But interestingly, the second part of verse 3, David says, God leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God leads me in the paths of of that which is right, in that which is pleasing to God, and he does it for his name's sake. He's he's not doing it for me, in a sense. He's doing it for him, for his name's sake, for the sake of his name. But in reality, it is for us. This is very important because God is taking personal responsibility for the sheep. He's taking upon himself the personal responsibility for the sheep. That means that God's reputation is on the line. If that sheep suffers harm, then God's name is tarnished. And God is not about to allow that to happen. God's provision for us 
the green pastures, the still waters, and the restored soul is not based on who we are, but on who he is. God's provision for us is not based on who we are, but on who he is, because this is all for his name's sake. I don't get more from God if I'm good. I don't get less from God if I stray. I always get what I need because God is committed to all of his sheep. So in this first section, we see that the presence of the good shepherd guarantees provision for all of David's needs. Provision for all of David's needs. Well, what's the second section we see here? We see that in verse 4. Here we see protection. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I reflected on that image, the valley of the shadow of death. It conjures up images, a place of deep darkness, hidden dangers, serious threats, a place of loneliness, isolation and fear, a place where suffering, injury, or death are real possibilities. And so what does David get in this dark valley? He gets, he says, relief of all fear of all evil. He says, I will fear no evil. He also gets comfort. That word comfort's an interesting word. It means to sigh. It represents the release of a big breath and the setting of rest and refreshment. Think about that hectic week of travel, the chaos, the concerns, the pressures weigh, and finally you get a chance to go away for two weeks to your favorite vacation spot, and you trudge up, you make the drive, and you drop your suitcases on the floor, and what do you do? I'm here. I'm at rest. Or you've received some great news that changes everything. You've been under tremendous pressure, and this piece of news comes along, and you take a deep breath. (sighs) That's what that word is referring to, that David gets comfort from what God is giving him. So what is God doing while David, his sheep, is in this dark valley? In verse 4, he says, I fear no evil, for you are with me. God is giving his very presence. You are with me. God is not sending messengers. God is not sending messages. He is sending himself. He is coming himself. So that means if I am walking in the dark valley and God is with me, then that means he is walking that dark valley with me. David fears no evil, not because he is brave or has some new skills to protect himself in that dark valley. He fears no evil because the shepherd himself is with him. And that is indicated or represented by the rod and the staff, which represent God's presence. The rod is an indication of ownership. Other places in the Bible, the Bible refers to as the sheep were going into the sheepfolds, the shepherd would lay the rod over the sheep and count the sheep as they went by, identifying those that were his. So the rod is an indication of the shepherd's ownership of that sheep. The staff was an indication of the shepherd's authority. 
as well as an indication of his presence. The staff was a walking stick used to support during travel. It was also useful, the shepherd's stick with the crook on was very useful to rescue sheep that were out of reach of the shepherd's arms. And both rod and staff were used as weapons to defend against attack, as well as tools to guide a sheep just back onto the right path. So David says, I fear no evil because you, the shepherd, are with me and your rod and your staff are a comfort to me because they indicate to me your ownership, your personal responsibility, as well as your presence and authority. So God's protection for us is not based on who we are, but on what? Who he is. God's provision, God's protection are not based on who we are, but on who he is. As an illustration of this, I was reminded of a a section in William P. Smith's book, Caught Off Guard. He tells this story, which I thought was uh, very good. I think you'll enjoy this as well. When we lived in Philadelphia, my wife came home from work very upset one evening. As she was walking down the street, some young boys had been throwing rocks at her. My in-laws are going to be thrilled to hear that story. I jumped up and asked a friend to go with me to confront the kids. We found one of them who immediately got very scared. He denied having any part of the rock throwing and was very willing to implicate others down the street. Playing along as though I believed he had nothing to do with it, I asked him to relay our concerns to the other boys, which he eagerly promised to do. And that was the end of the rock throwing incidents. Why did my words have such an impact? I'm not very big. I didn't scowl, threaten, wave a gun, or call the police. In fact, under the circumstances, I was remarkably restrained, calm, and polite. The reason my words had such an impact was because Brian was with me. He stood behind me, six foot four, 260 pounds, wearing a black leather jacket, dark sunglasses, and a frown. He was a former Navy SEAL with a black belt and some martial art I've since forgotten. Brian could intimidate just by standing still. The impact I had and my lack of fear in confronting those kids came from the person I was with. Jesus makes Brian look puny. Yet how often do I not believe he's enough because I want something more tangible? David says, I will fear no evil because the Lord is with me. It's not me standing there. It's Brian standing behind me. The Lord is with me. Well, let's look at the next section. We see that in verse 5. David's, what does David get out of this? Well, he gets a prepared table. He gets a head anointed with oil. And he gets an overflowing cup. What a great thing to show up at a house and have a table prepared just for you, right? Isn't that amazing to have a place prepared for your favorite food, set just in a beautiful way, just the way you like it. Oil for the head, which indicated very special treatment, and a cup that is overflowing. David says, I'm getting an abundance beyond what's necessary. This is more than what I need to, to meet my needs 
This is an abundance. And so what is God doing here? What is the shepherd doing? He is hosting a large meal for his sheep. He prepares a table, a full meal that is prepared and set before David. And look what he says. David says, you prepare that table in the presence of my enemies. See, there are still enemies around. There are still those that would seek to harm me and destroy me, David says. But they cannot deter God's abundant provision for his sheep. Whatever enemies there are, whether it's people or circumstances or inward struggles, they cannot deter God's abundant provision for his sheep. God is providing for David in defiance of those enemies. He's in their face. He's, okay, you enemies out there? Yeah, I'm going to prepare a table for my sheep who can sit down and enjoy this meal. God anoints my head with oil. For sheep, that meant healing of the wounds of the day. For David, it was a symbol of the care and love and extravagance of God as the shepherd. The oil reflects the generosity and love of the host. And he says, my cup overflows. God doesn't just fill the cup. He causes the cup to overflow. And this is a picture that God does indeed supply our every need, but he goes above and beyond to richly give us more than what we need. The abundance that he gives is far more valuable than any material possessions. If you look as we go into verse 6, he says, goodness and mercy shall follow me. The abundance that God gives us includes goodness and mercy, as well as forgiveness of sins, inward peace, life change, a home in heaven, just to name a few. These are much more valuable to us than mere material possessions. So God's prospering us is not based on who we are, but on who he is. The presence of the good shepherd guarantees David's prosperity. The presence of the good shepherd guarantees David's provision, his protection, and his prosperity. Well, what I'd like to do now is let's spend a few moments. We've, each time we've looked at these psalms, we've said, all right, let's back up a little bit and see what this psalm tells us about Jesus. Because any time we read the Old Testament, we, we must always ask ourselves, what is this passage teaching us about who Jesus is? Well, Psalm 23 shows us Jesus as the good shepherd. So please listen and sort of reflect on Psalm 23 here as I read some selected verses from John 10, 1 to 18, where Jesus describes himself using Psalm 23's theme of a shepherd and his sheep. These are excerpts, selections from that passage in John 10. Jesus says this, He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. You see, Jesus is the good shepherd who knows his sheep. 
He provides for his sheep abundantly as he leads them. He protects his sheep by his very presence in their lives. And he prospers his sheep as he shares his true riches with them. Not only that, Jesus is the one who walked through the valley of the shadow of death, not only with his sheep, but for his sheep. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection conquered death for us. Jesus is the one who leads us and provides for us, even in the direct presence of our enemies. Well, let's spend a few moments looking now at Psalm 23. And I hope by this time you're starting to think, all right, how, how is this applying to me? But I'd like us to look a little more focused on that now, is what this means for us now. We've not yet looked much at the last verse of this psalm, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word follow, I looked that up, it means to run after, to pursue, or to chase. And in some settings, it it also means to persecute. That's what persecute means. It means to follow after, or chase, or pursue. And it got me thinking, what kinds of things do I run after? What kinds of things do we run after? What kinds of things do we think we need for a better life? Back to that exercise at the beginning of the message, life would be better if only, how did you fill that in? Life would be better if only. Well, maybe some of these are on your list, relationships, financial security, more possessions, not a lot, just a little more. Peace, happiness, perhaps fame, not a lot, just being noticed and appreciated by those around me. Freedom from guilt and shame, freedom from habits of sin and addictions. These things are not necessarily bad things in the right settings, but I'm guessing most of us did not put on our list, if I only had more of God's goodness and mercy. I'm not going to ask, but... I don't think I would have included that on my list. But as I was studying this psalm, this verse probably contains the biggest new insight for me as I tried to look at it with fresh eyes. Before, we've talked about hinges in the psalm. You remember we talked about hinges? A hinge in the psalm is something that's common to many of the psalms. The psalm is going one direction, and there, there comes this verse then that changes the direction of the psalm. The psalm pivots in its thought and its direction. Well, some psalms, like this one, have bookends. That is, verses at the beginning and at the end of the psalm that are related to each other. Psalm 23 has bookends. So in this psalm, I think we can better understand verse 6 in light of verse 1. So what is the front bookend? Well, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God himself is our shepherd who leads us, who guides us, who's out front. We are following the shepherd Therefore, we have God's provision, God's protection, and God's prosperity. But what about this back bookend in verse 6? David says, surely, without a doubt, certainly, truly, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Goodness, that which is favorable and pleasing and right, and mercy, which means kindness and favor, Mercy is compassionate treatment, which is aid to someone who is miserable or needy, especially in debt and without claim to favorable treatment. 
It is a kindness that is undeserved. David says, goodness, that which is pleasing and right, and mercy, that kindness which I don't deserve. And what are they doing? They're going to follow me. They are going to follow me. In light of these bookend verses, I believe here's the truth to take home from this psalm. I don't need to follow or chase after God's provision, his protection, or his prosperity. I don't need to run after the green pastures, the still waters, the restored soul. I don't need to protect myself in the dark valley. I don't need to run after the prepared table, the oil-anointed head, or the overflowing cup. And I don't need to run after the life would be better if onlys. Rather, God calls us to follow, to run after the good shepherd. God knows what we need and what we are searching for. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Psalm 23 tells me that if I follow the shepherd, then goodness and mercy will follow me. If I follow the good shepherd, then goodness and mercy will follow me. Even if I am pursued by enemies and pursued by hardship and pursued by the suffering of this world, the goodness and mercy of the good shepherd will have the final word, not the evils of this world. If I am following the Lord as my shepherd, then goodness and mercy will most assuredly follow after me. I don't have to run after them. They will run after me. Now and forever, David says. I think this is profound because it simplifies where I need to be looking. I just need to be following the shepherd. If I have my eyes on the shepherd and I'm following the shepherd, he's going to make sure that his goodness and mercy are following me. I am well surrounded on all sides. What I'd like to do is paraphrase these bookends of Psalm 23 to try to put this together. Because the Lord is my shepherd who leads me, I can know that without a doubt I will be chased by all that is good and pleasing and right. And I will be chased as well by God's kindness, favor, and his compassionate treatment for all the days of my life in this world and for eternity in the house of the Lord that he is preparing for me. I wanted to show this picture. This is a picture that we have hanging in our home. It's called a shortening winter's day. And it's a picture in our home that I often reflect on, both as a sheep and in my role as a shepherd. So if you notice, first of all, there's the shepherd with the load of food on his back for his sheep. How often has he carried that load and in what kinds of weather has he brought that load to his sheep? Cold and hot and rain and snow. But look at the sheep in various stages of relationship to the shepherd. There are some that are very close and I often reflect, well, why are they so close? Are they close because they're aware of their need and they just need to get there as soon as possible? Are they there because they're a little greedy and just want to get there first before everybody else? What about those who are far off? So you have these two right here. What are they thinking? Oh, here he comes again. Or are they 
you know, here he is again. Can you believe how faithful he's been? Yeah, let them have theirs first. We're going to get everything we need in due time. What about these? They're not even looking. Are they indifferent, not caring? Or are they so calm and confident in the shepherd's care for them that, you know, he'll get to us. I'm not worried. I think there are lessons here for all of us to think about the relationship of our good shepherd with the sheep. And as I say, I reflect on this from both sides as a sheep under the shepherdhood of God as well as the shepherdhood of our church. And I reflect on it as a shepherd as well, charged with being an under-shepherd of God's flock. Which ones will the shepherd take care of? Which ones will the shepherd take care of? Well, he's going to take care of all of them. He's going to take care of all of them without question, while still taking into account their individual needs, their temperaments, the shepherd will faithfully care for the sheep, not because of who they are, but because of who he is. Psalm 23 teaches us to always keep our eyes on the shepherd because the shepherd always has his eyes on you. Always keep your eyes on the shepherd because the shepherd always has his eyes on you. He always leads you, and as you follow him, his goodness and mercy will certainly follow you. Thanks, Mark. So to me, that's the lesson of Psalm 23, but we're not quite done yet. Before we go, I'd like to spend a few moments with some final thoughts about these three psalms together. Remember, we looked at Psalm 21, 22, and 23. At the beginning of this study, I said that this study came out of my reading of Psalm 22, basically, as I was reflecting on it, coupled with an idea that I had heard years ago that psalms next to each other are often related in some way. So as I looked at Psalm 22, I said, oh, wait, what did 21 and 23, are they connected? And I found what I thought was a very interesting connection, which is profound and important for us. And actually, we've sung about it already this morning. These three psalms show us seasons of life that we move into and out of. Psalm 21 tells us that there are seasons of life in which life is smooth and we celebrate all that comes from being a child of God. That psalm has bookends as well, starting with rejoicing. David says, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices. And then in verse 13, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. David is celebrating. Life is good. And David is trusting that through the steadfast love of the Most High, he will not be moved. But then there will be seasons of life reflected in Psalm 22. Seasons of life in which the bottom drops out with intense suffering. When we ask God, why? 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 Where are you? Why is this happening? And Psalm 22 teaches us that God invites us to lament. He invites us to offer prayers in pain that lead to trust. Prayers in pain that lead to trust. Honestly expressing our pain while crying out to God for his rescue. Trusting that God will always rescue his children from suffering. Always. But no matter what season of life we find ourselves in, whether it is the celebration of Psalm 21 or the suffering of Psalm 22, the goal of life is the shepherd of Psalm 23. 
as we learn that the Good Shepherd is out in front leading us and his immense goodness and mercy is chasing us from behind, we can learn to perfectly rest in the loving arms of our good and faithful shepherd who provides, protects, and prospers his sheep, whether in times of celebration or seasons of suffering. As I was reflecting on this, my mind went to the events of Mark 4, verses 35 and 41. Jesus and his followers are in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, crossing the sea, when a ferocious storm arises and the ship begins to sink. The disciples panic and fear for their lives as they compare the ferocity of the storm with their weakness to do anything about it. Meanwhile, Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. He is perfectly at rest in that same ferocious storm that will soon sink this boat and take them all to their deaths. The difference is that he knows that no storm is beyond his strength to tame. No tragedy is beyond his ability to restore. And no life is beyond his power to bring back from the dead. What a great picture of perfect rest when chased by enemies in the storms of life. Sleeping in the back of a boat that is about to sink. I am not there yet in trusting the Lord as my shepherd. I want to be there, but I'm not there. And I believe that's what these Psalms teach us. To call to mind that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And because the Lord is my shepherd, surely, certainly, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The presence of the good shepherd guarantees our well-being all the days of our lives and all the way home. Whether we find ourselves in seasons of celebration or seasons of suffering, may we learn to find perfect rest in the presence of our good shepherd. Amen. Let's close this time in prayer. Our Father, we are grateful for your word. And as we prayed at the beginning, I trust that your spirit has been very present in our midst to help us see and hear and understand these truths that we have looked at from your word. Help us, Lord, to learn the lessons that our goal in life is merely to follow you our good shepherd, knowing, trusting that goodness and mercy will follow us. And that in seasons of celebration and seasons of suffering, that the invitation is the same to find our rest in peace in you and you alone. May we learn and grow to be ones that can sleep in the back of the boat in the midst of a ferocious storm, that we can be calm and at rest and at peace, not because of who we are, not because of what we can do, 
but because of who you are and what you can do. And I confess, Father, I am very often far away from that, but desire to know you and trust you in such a way that my soul can be calm before you and at peace in the midst of whatever storms this life brings. May that be true for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.